The following message was recorded at Bethlehem Baptist Church in Minneapolis, Minnesota. More information can be found online at Bethlehem.Church. If you're thinking, what in the world did we just read? You're in good company. Let's pray and ask the Lord for help. Father in heaven, you have written these things so that we might find hope and encouragement. So come now in the power of your Holy Spirit so that we would see what you want us to see and that we would live the way you want us to live and that we would have hope in the way that you want us to have hope and that we would be changed to look more and more like your son, Jesus. We pray that in his precious name. Amen. In a meeting earlier this week, Pastor Dan looked over to me and he said, I think our people are worn out and weary. And I wonder if any of us can relate to that this morning. With all that's going on in our world, the the war in Ukraine lingers on, everything going on in our culture, things going on in each one of our lives, some of us are exhausted, maybe not physically, but emotionally exhausted. We feel fatigue over the controversies, the partisan politics. We hope we never have to say the word COVID ever again. And yet that doesn't seem likely. Inflation looms around the corner with global uncertainty. And then just closer to home, in each one of our lives, we all have things that we're dealing with, don't we? We all have issues If we took a poll, we would see lots of hands go up when when we think of these things. Just this week, I've heard about and prayed for the following things just here in this church family just this week. Miscarriage, troubled adult children, caring for aging parents, the uncertainty of unemployment, health ailments, delayed surgeries, hospice care, special needs children, chronic fatigue, and mental health challenges where it feels like the darkness just won't lift. I imagine that many of us walk in this morning feeling a little bit worn out and weary and exacerbating our weariness, making our weariness worse is the vast uncertainty in our world. The growing prospect of persecution and suffering even. And Jesus reminds us, In Matthew 25, he says, if the world called me Beelzebul, if the world maligns me, how much more will they malign and persecute my people? And many of our brothers and sisters around the world experience persecution regularly. And we know it's just a matter of time for us as well. And Daniel 7, the passage we just read, speaks right into these realities of our weariness and of our unease about the future. And it gives us hope this morning. This chapter is a realistic addressing of the evil at work in our world, and yet it seeks to give us a firm foundation so that we are steadfast and immovable, abounding in the work of the Lord. It's like We're playing broom ball in our shoes on the ice and we're just slipping around everywhere. And Daniel 7 comes in to just set our feet firm. So if you just joined us or this is your very first Sunday or you're a visitor, 
We're really glad you're here, but you've really jumped in on a complex passage this week. We are studying the seventh chapter in the book of Daniel in the Old Testament. And the first six chapters outlined and described God's power, his sovereignty over all things, including kings and kingdoms and fiery furnaces and even raging hungry lions. And last week we looked at verses 1 through 18 of chapter 7 where we get a vision describing four beasts that represented four kingdoms. And this vision comes in the first year of the reign of Belshazzar, one of the kings of Babylon. And it described Babylon, Medo-Persia, Greece, and Rome. And what was taking place was Daniel was given a vision where the curtain was pulled back and he was able to see the future and all that God was going to do. And what he saw was the ancient of days, God Almighty riding in on a fiery chariot throne and he was going to judge the heavens and the earth, all of creation. And then he was going to give all authority and power to his son Jesus and to his saints. Now this week, what we're doing is we're zooming in on that fourth beast in verses 19 to 28. And there's a bunch of questions that come up, and hopefully they came up for you when we were reading this passage. Who are the ten horns? Who's the little horn or the eleventh horn that's described that has eyes and a mouth? And then when is this all going to take place? Is it in our past? Is it in our present? Or is it in our future? And so we're going to answer these questions as we unpack this passage. So buckle up and bear with me. We're going to do a lot of exposition on the front end. And I think there's a good payoff on the end as we try to understand why are these things in the scriptures for us this morning? They didn't have to be there, but but they were put there for our hope and for our encouragement this morning. So. Verses 19 to 22, where we get the fourth beast described once again. And this is parallel to Daniel 7, verses 7 and 8. And it's also parallel to Nebuchadnezzar's vision from Daniel 2. And we get a few characteristics of this fourth beast. Let me just outline three main characteristics. The first is that this beast was fearful, right? This fourth beast was exceedingly terrifying and dreadful, and it was unlike any other beast or animal in the animal kingdom. And it's unique in being especially horrible. The second feature is that it's violent. If you look at verse 19, it says, as teeth of iron and claws of bronze. This is symbolizing its destructive power that it could tear apart and rip apart flesh, for, for the kids among us, you would imagine Wolverine, either the animal or the mutant, you know, claws of iron. It, it, it's tearing apart, stomping on whatever that remains. This is a picture of complete annihilation. And the third feature is hostility. This beast has 10 horns on its heads, an 11th horn with eyes and a mouth. And Daniel says in verse 20, it seemed greater than its companions. And in verse 25, we look down and it says, it spoke words against the most high. So here we get this picture that I think we'll see later is a horn that represents an intelligent ruler, has eyes and a mouth, and it's hostile to God. In fact, it speaks blasphemous things against God. Now in verse 21, it says this, as I looked, this horn made war with the saints 
and prevailed over them until the ancient of days came and judgment was given for the saints of the most high. And the time came when the saints possessed the kingdom. So what's taking place is that this ruler is going to wage war against God's people. It's going to actually be successful in that. It's going to prevail against them. And then God is going to come and judge and wipe all of these things out. So we begin to get a hint of when this is taking place. The final judgment hasn't happened yet. When Jesus returns a second time and rules and reigns and establishes forever kingdom, that's in our future, isn't it? And so we begin to get a sense that this is going to take place in the future. Now, look with me at verses 23 to 27. We get this explained. Daniel can't explain it. He's asking the angel that's there, and he gets this interpretation. Verse 23, it says, There shall be a fourth kingdom on earth, which shall be different from all the kingdoms, and it shall devour the whole earth and trample it down and break it to pieces. This aligns with our former understanding that this is the nation of Rome. This is the Roman Empire that controlled vast portions of the known world at that time through its armies, the Roman legions. But the big question for, for this passage is, what are the ten horns and who's the eleventh horn? That, that's the critical question. Now, verse 25 says, this eleventh horn, little horn, or kind of the one that comes after the ten, is going to speak words against the Most High. It shall wear out the saints of the Most High and shall to think the change the times and the law. So before we look at who this is, let's just look at what he's doing. First, he's speaking words against the Most High. We said earlier that this is speaking blasphemy against God. And we're going to see an important parallel in the book of Revelation in just a moment. But, but just see that and note it in your head that this ruler or king is going to speak blasphemy against God. The, the second thing it says is that it's going to wear out the saints. This means it's going to persecute and oppress God's people. Just like the pants in the, the, the knees in the pants of a little boy. They just get worn out, right? You can do lots of great hand-me-downs with your little girls, but when it comes to the boys, you can't hand down the pants because they just wear out and then holes rip in them. That's what happens at our house. And, and, and that's the picture that he's saying. The saints are going to be worn out, grinded down until they rip apart. The persecution against Christians is going to be severe. This is not the most encouraging sermon so far. Third thing we see, he's going to change the times and the law. Now calm down. This isn't Congress changing daylight savings times. But the picture of what's being talked about here, I think, is there's the establishment of a secular world order and the elimination of all religion. This is not just the mere removal of the Ten Commandments from the courthouses or in God we trust from all American currency, but rather the complete and total elimination of religious liberty, religious identity, religious belief from the world. That, that's the picture of changing the times and the law. And in verse 25, says that this individual will prevail against God's people for a time, times, and half a time. Now, how much time is that? Well, some think it's an indefinite symbolic period of time. But I think most believe that it's three and a half years. So a time would be a year, times two years, and then half a time, 
a total of three and a half years. And the reason people think this is because later in Daniel 12 and 11, it talks about, you know, 1,290 days and a few other uh, periods of time that factor out to be about three and a half years. And in Revelation, they talk about 42 months, which is also three and a half years. And so this is generally pointed to what is called, generally called the great tribulation that will come upon the earth. So this is what this 11th horn is doing. He's persecuting God's people, oppressing them, even succeeding in doing that. And he's going to be especially horrible, terrifying, and wicked. Now, who is it? Well, it seems best to interpret the 10 horns that come after the Roman Empire symbolically as the full number of kings and or kingdoms that will follow the Roman Empire. So just rewind with me all the way to Daniel 2. Daniel 2, he talked about the statue and what happened to that statue. There's the golden head, silver, bronze, and clay and iron. And he said, after this statue, there's going to be a stone that comes and it dashes the whole thing into pieces. And then God's going to establish his everlasting kingdom. And what he's doing is he, he's compressing the time, collapsing the time between the fall of the Roman kingdom before the establishment of God's forever kingdom. And yet on this side of the cross, we know that much more time transpires between the fall of Rome before God comes back to establish his forever kingdom. Same thing is happening here. And so it would be like if you went out to the mountains and you saw two peaks and you think, wow, the the second peak looks like it's just behind that first peak. But when you actually drive up to the mountain, you actually realize that they're hundreds of miles apart. And the same thing is happening here. He's collapsing the time between the fall of the Roman Empire with the establishment of God's eternal kingdom. And what these 10 kings signify is this complete number of kingdoms and kings that will rise and fall, rise and fall until the final 11th kingdom comes. And he's going to emerge to wage war against God's people. So the question for us this morning is, who is this 11th horn? Well, it's in the future. It hasn't come yet because he emerges right before God's final judgment. And he's going to be given uh, power for a time, times, and half a time. And we actually see very similar descriptions of this in the New Testament that are nearly identical with this 11th horn from Daniel 7. And so this leads me to believe that this is the Antichrist or the man of lawlessness or the beast from Revelation. So we're going to read all those passages and we're going to see if this is in fact right. There's going to be other horns later in, in chapter 8 and later on in Daniel as well that serve as types and patterns of future evil kingdoms. But what we see here in this little horn, this 11th horn, is the Antichrist. So turn with me in your Bible to 1 John 2.18. And we're going to be looking at a few different passages. 1 John is kind of all the way at the end of the Bible, just before Revelation and Jude, there's 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. So 1st John chapter 2, verse 18. I want us to see this for ourselves. And John is writing, he's also the writer of Revelation, and he says this, 1st John chapter 2, verse 18. He says, children, it is the last hour And as you have heard that Antichrist is coming, so now many Antichrists have come. Therefore, we know that it is the last hour. 
So what John is saying is that we are living in the very last days and the Antichrist is coming and yet the spirit of the Antichrist is at work. The, the spirit of evil, evil opposition against God is already at work in the world. Now, just turn over to 1 John 4, 3. Very similar. 1 John chapter 4, verse 3, and it says, Every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard was coming and is now in the world already. So John is highlighting that evil opposes and denies the truth of Jesus, which is the precursor to the final Antichrist, even though the spirit of the Antichrist is at work. Just listen to this third one, 2 John 7. For many deceivers have gone out into the world, and those who do not confess the coming of Jesus Christ in the flesh, such a one is the deceiver and the Antichrist. Now, if you flip back to 2 Thessalonians 2, Verses 3 and 4, he describes, I think, a very similar thing, but with the term the man of lawlessness. So 2 Thessalonians 2, verses 3 and 4, it says this. Let no one deceive you in any way. For that day, and he's talking about the day of the Lord, when God's people and Jesus will meet together. Finally, he says the day of the Lord will not come unless what comes first. He says, unless the rebellion comes first and the man of lawlessness is revealed, the son of destruction who opposes and exalts himself against every so-called God or object of worship so that he takes his seat in the temple of God, proclaiming himself to be God. So, so what these verses have shown us is that there is this final evil ruler that will oppose God and persecute God's people. And it's called the Antichrist. It's called the man of lawlessness. In Revelation, it's called the beast. And it's coming, but it's not yet here. Yet the pattern of evil continues to be at work in our world. Now turn with me to Revelation 13. This is the most striking passage with the most parallels to what we see in Daniel 7. Revelation 13, we're going to look at verses 1 through 7. I'm just going to read select parts of it. So Revelation 13, final book of the Bible, chapter 13, starting in verse 1, and it says, And I saw a beast rising out of the sea. Does that ring a bell? Just like the four beasts rose out of the sea, out of the chaos of the sea. And how many horns does it have? It has ten horns. And seven heads. So the picture of completeness with 10 diadems on its horns and blasphemous names on its heads. And the beast that I saw was like a leopard. Its feet were like a bear's and its mouth was like a lion's mouth. So it has all the features and traits of all the former kingdoms. 10 horns and like a leopard and bear and lion. So it's like a composite picture of all the evil kingdoms that have come before. And to it, the dragon gave his power and his throne and great authority. And the beast was, verse 5, and the beast was given a mouth uttering haughty and blasphemous words. Another familiar phrase. It was allowed to exercise authority for 42 months, which is three and a half years. It opened its mouth to utter blasphemies against God, blaspheming his name and dwelling, that is, those who dwell in heaven. Also, he was allowed to make war on the saints and to conquer them. Does that ring a bell? Like the passage we just read in Daniel 7, making war against the saints, prevailing against them and conquering them. 
So, so what we see in Revelation 13 and all the verses before that in Second Thessalonians and First John is that all of these New Testament verses are pointing to this future Antichrist or what some might call the man of lawlessness or the son of destruction or the beast that is going to oppose God and his people. And this pattern of evil is already at work in our world. And, and What Daniel doesn't fully realize that we now see is that we're living in the final stages, the last days between Christ's advent and his return. And during that time, there will be evil opposition. And yet God is patient because the gospel is going forth in order to save. And this pattern of evil is going to oppose Christ and his kingdom until God returns in those final days, and establishes his kingdom forever. So this 11th horn is the Antichrist or the beast. Now, I know what some of you are thinking. You're thinking, Pastor, I was hoping for some singing this morning, a little bit of encouragement. I was hoping you would tell me how much Jesus loves me, and then I could go home and grab a nap and get some lunch. I was looking for a little encouragement not the Antichrist. If I wasn't anxious when I came in, now I am. I was looking for encouragement and maybe not nightmares. And this is where we need to remember to zoom out, to see the forest and not just the trees. The whole point of Daniel 7 is that hostility and opposition and the oppression of God's people is real. Suffering and persecution are realities in this life, just like for Daniel, who suffered persecution, just like Jesus, who suffered persecution, just like Jesus' apostles, who suffered persecution, just like many Christians around the world right now, just like all the Christians in Acts. And yet Daniel 7 reminds us that God is the one who is sovereignly in control of all things, even the very ends of the world, even the very ends of the earth. There is nothing, there is no evil power too great in this world that can over overcome Christ and his everlasting kingdom. And so we got to back up to make sure we see the forest, that the whole point of Daniel 7 and of the whole entire Bible is that God gloriously wins and all of his people will be gloriously vindicated with him. Amen? He is going to hold us fast. And all the wicked that we see in the world, bombing of maternity hospitals and art schools and whatever else, any other wickedness that we see in the world, we think, oh, how could that possibly happen? And yet we know that judgment will come. The books are going to be opened. So why does this matter? Why is this included in the Bible? One of the questions we often ask when we do a sermon preparation meeting is, so what? What would we miss out on if these passages weren't there, if we didn't have them? Why does this matter to Daniel's readers? And why does it matter to us this morning? I think there's a number of things. First, it reminds us that opposition to Christ and to his people is not unusual. Opposition to Christ and to his people is not unusual. If people don't like you for being a Christian, if you're getting persecuted or if you're reading about Christians being persecuted around the world, be utterly unsurprised. 
our world is opposed to Christ. The spirit of the Antichrist is already at work in the world that speaks great things against God and wears out his people. So don't be surprised if Disney is pushing an immoral agenda. Don't be surprised if our culture has lost its mind on something as simple as biology and gender. That a man can pretend to be a woman and compete in the NCAA Division I swim championships and become the fastest woman swimming the 500-yard or 500-meter race. We should not be surprised that people increasingly will not just say, well, that's good for you that you're a Christian. That's not for me. But that they'll actually ridicule and mock those who do believe in a biblical sexual ethic and to believe what the Bible says about everything, a worldview. You believe in Genesis? We should not be surprised if Christians are called bigots and idiots and backwards and hateful. Paul reminds us in Romans eight seventeen that we are heirs, heirs with Christ if indeed we will suffer with him so that we can be glorified with him as well. And so right now in our world, what we're seeing and all the polarization, all the tension, all the things that make us uncomfortable at work in our world, because the world is saying, bow down to our golden statues. And we see them all around. Bow down to the golden statue of the sexual revolution. Bow down to the statue of perverting science to advance immorality. Bow down to the statue that calls evil good and good evil. That's a stunning verse. Isaiah 5.20. Woe to those who call evil good and good evil. Woe to those who call light darkness and darkness light. That call what is sweet bitter and what is bitter sweet. And I just can't help but think. We have a whole world that says, I know you see a man, but you need to call him a woman. Or you're going to be canceled. That's the world we live in right now. And so... Evil opposition is real. The Bible is no fairy tale. And yet God is victorious, even the most vicious of evil. Daniel gives us firm footing. It's repeated multiple times. He says, this is how it ends. So how can you be on the right side of history? How can you be on the right side of eternity? Be on God's side. That's what he sets for us. The second thing, why does this matter? So what? It sets expectations. It sets expectations for us. Daniel, in Daniel's day, the people were saying, oh, how long, Lord? We're in exile. How long? And and today, we need to be reminded, we live as aliens and sojourners, and this is not our final destination. This is not our home. The world that we live in is the blink of an eye rest stop on the way to eternity. So some of us are going to take summer vacations and we'll drive up to the North Shore. Or we'll go to someplace warm or someplace with a beach. And imagine on your drive there, you stop at the rest stop to relieve yourself and get some snacks and stretch your legs. And instead of continuing on your way, you just pitch a tent and you stay at the rest stop. We would say that's ridiculous. And yet that's how so many of us 
live in this world. They're trying to squeeze all the joy, all the life we can possibly get out of this world. And yet we forget that we're headed to a better place, a better destination where we will be with our savior forever. It's a reminder. I know the sufferings in this life are hard. None of them are easy. And yet in light of eternity, in light of being with Jesus forever, Stop sweating the small stuff, which I know feels big to every single one of us. You are going to dwell in the house of the Lord forever and ever, and you will have joy unspeakable. And so that reshapes and reorients how we view our suffering in our life right now, does it not? Stop living as though this is as good as it gets. It doesn't even come close Our problems are like, oh, they're out of Skittles at the vending machine in the rest stop. And we're going to get all the riches in heaven with Jesus forever. And all the Skittles you could possibly ever want as well. Third, we're given a great and glorious hope that lies before us in the future where suffering and weariness and pain are no more. Look with me at verses 26 and 27. 26 and 27 have been repeated throughout Daniel. It's, it's kind of like Daniel wants to say, put on heaven's spectacles again. Because we keep losing sight. So put on heaven's spectacles. Daniel seven twenty six. What's going to happen? Even as the saints are being prevailed against and worn out. It says, but the court shall sit in judgment. This is the ancient of days riding in on his fiery throne chariot. And his dominion shall be taken away, this 11th beast, to be consumed and destroyed to the end. Verse 27. And the kingdom and the dominion and the greatness of the kingdoms under the whole heaven shall be given to the people of the saints of the most high. His kingdom shall be an everlasting kingdom and all dominions shall serve and obey him. Again, he helps us zoom out. Don't get lost in all the trees. Yes, there are beasts. Yes, there are horns. Yes, there are antichrists. But the whole point of everything being written here is that vicious evil that persecutes and wages war against God's people will be decisively destroyed. And what will last forever? Christ's kingdom. And who will dwell in that kingdom forever? It's us. We will dwell in that kingdom forever. It's going to be given over to us. How amazing is that? The world and everything in it will belong to you. It's just unfathomable. I don't even know what that means. There is nothing that you lack here in this life that you will not receive a hundredfold that will make whatever it is in this life that we're like, I wish I had, feel like, oh, I never needed it anyways. Whether that's children or spouse or health that you don't have, all significant, serious things. And yet in heaven, we'll look back and say, oh, Jesus is so worthy and worth it. It all pales in comparison. Our money is going to get spent. 
or diminish through inflation. Our cars are going to depreciate and rust and wear out, and especially here in Minnesota with all the salt they use. Our bodies are going to degrade and betray us, and our homes are no match for a tornado or a fire. But what does last forever is our eternal happiness with Jesus forever. So in the midst of all the beasts and antichrists and fearful things and saints being prevailed against, the whole point of it being written is so that you might have hope. If you're a visitor, if you're new, if you're just checking things out, we are so glad you're here this morning. This is a really complex passage to jump into. Beasts and antichrists and end times and final judgment. But let me just try to be clear with you. If you're watching online, if you're here in the room, The Bible is crystal clear that there will be a final judgment and the books will be opened and every deed, every word that is laid forth that we have ever done, that we have ever said, that we have ever thought will be recorded in that book. And there is only one way to escape judgment. And it's not by saying, I'm not as bad as the next guy. The only way to escape judgment is by saying, I'm covered by the blood of Jesus. And so that's what we're asking you to consider this morning. We're not asking you to bow down to the golden statues of even our belief systems or that of the world. But we're asking you to bow the knee to a person, King Jesus, who rules and reigns over all things. And he welcomes all who will trust in him. He's eager to forgive us, to wipe the slate clean, to stamp down that book, forgiven on every item and he can rescue us from final judgment. And so we don't want you to leave having false assurance, but we also don't want you to leave with nightmares either. You can escape final judgment if you will bend the knee and submit to Jesus this morning. This is true if you're six or 96. It's never too late. Today too can be the day of salvation. Look with me at verse 28. Daniel concludes, my thoughts greatly alarmed me. My color changed, but I kept the matter in my heart. Why is Daniel still shocked? He's just been given a glimpse behind the heavenly curtain. And what he saw was the painful persecution of the people of God. But then he also saw the victorious ancient of days come in and dethrone every evil power. I think the reason Daniel is concerned is because he doesn't know when these things are going to take place. The repetition of Daniel 2 and Daniel 7 show us that these things are true and fixed and they're going to come to pass as has been described. So we started this morning by talking about those who walked in weary and worn out. What should weary and worn out people walk away with from this word from God? You might be thinking, I wish sermons were more practical. You know, it's good and fine that Jesus sits on his throne and, and, you know, he's going to conquer the world in a thousand years. But like, give me something for like right now or like Monday when I'm feeling worn out. Some of you might think I got problems that I need to deal with. Wayward children and unemployment, financial hardship, broken relationships, traumatic experiences, hurt, physical aches and pains, emotional fluctuations, mental instability, a hard marriage, difficult children, unwanted singleness, the death of a loved one. Why does this matter right now, pastor? It's a reminder that in all our pain and suffering, 
Daniel reminds us that God is still in control. There is no evil or no brokenness too big for our God. Even the greatest evil that will ever show up, the one that gets the privileged name of Antichrist and beast and the little horn that is greater than all the evils that come before it, God is going to strike down by the word of his power. And so whatever problems you have right now, God loves you. He cares for you. He's with you and he's in control of it. There is nothing too great where he says, oh man, you really got yourself into a mess. I'm not sure what we're going to do about that one. No, he reminds us from his word today that the sufferings that we experience are a light and momentary affliction, preparing for us an eternal weight of glory. And I know it doesn't feel that way. And yet that's exactly what they are. All of our sufferings here in this life are a light and momentary affliction, even if they last 86, 96 years of chronic suffering. They will be light and momentary to the joy, the unspeakable joy we will have with him in heaven. Suffering and pain remind us that this is not our home. Daniel 7 reminds us that his power over the future gives us confidence to trust him in the present. His power over the future, the biggest problems that the world will ever face, one who prevails over God's people, wages war against his people, changes the laws and times, speaks blasphemous words, God is going to strike down. And so you don't have a problem today that is too big for our sovereign God. All suffering oftentimes feels senseless and without purpose. And yet Daniel 7 reminds us that God turns wickedness in on itself so that it destroys itself. And he did this chiefly at the cross of Christ. At Calvary, where Jesus was crucified, Satan said, I did it. I got it. Killed the son of man. And yet, in that moment, God pulled off the greatest jujitsu move in all the world using Satan's scheming in order to bring about the salvation of the world. That's a stunning, stunning reality. Judas' betrayal, Pilate's prejudice, Herod's hatred, the Jews' jealousy, all resulted in the death of the Son of Man. And yet that was precisely what needed to happen so that he would be the Lamb of God that would provide forgiveness of sins to all those who would trust in him. And so evil was turned in on itself and conquered in the death of Jesus so that he would rise again, vindicated by the Father, and bring about the forgiveness of sins. And so it reminds us this morning that your suffering is not senseless. God is using it so that we would be conformed to his image and love him and experience his comfort and kindness. Jesus writes in John sixteen thirty three. It's a song that I sang as a kid, but I, I sang it for the pastors. I won't sing it for you guys, but this is how it reads. I've said these things to you. John sixteen thirty three. I've said these things to you. He's talking about Jesus leaving, his death, the sorrow that would come. I've said these things to you that in me, 
you may have peace. In the world, you will have tribulation. But take heart. And I think in the old King James Version, it said, be of good cheer, for I have overcome the world. And that's what Daniel 7 is showing us as well. Yes, tribulation is before us in this life, but this isn't our home. And Jesus has overcome the world. These visions are sobering. But God has not lost control. He isn't asleep at the wheel, but our suffering and pain will give rise to everlasting rejoicing in him forever. And so this morning, be encouraged and be reassured that no matter how dire the situation, how severe the suffering, how painful the persecution, God is and will be victorious. And we will not only observe these things, but we will partake in them when he gives all authority, all dominion over to the Son of Man, the Lord Jesus Christ, and says, rule over it in perfect justice and righteousness forever. And then we will receive this kingdom with the Lord Jesus and we will dwell with him forever and ever and ever and ever. And if I had more time, I would just keep saying forever. It's going to be that good, that long, and there's nothing to worry about. Keep your eyes fixed on him, brothers and sisters. Let's pray. Oh, Lord, may the glory of Christ flood our vision this morning that we would see him more clearly, trust him more fully, find that our confidence is unshakable when it's built upon the foundation of Christ and his everlasting kingdom. Help us to delight in the ancient of days who is coming, to be steadfast and immovable here in this life, and help us, Lord, with all that goes around, to be faithful unto death, so that we might receive a crown of life. We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Bethlehem Baptist Church in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for these copies or alter their content in any way without written permission from Bethlehem Baptist Church. For more information, we invite you to visit us online at Bethlehem.Church or write us at 720 13th Avenue South, Minneapolis, Minnesota, 55415. Bethlehem Baptist Church, spreading a passion for the supremacy of God in all things, for the joy of all peoples, through Jesus Christ.